You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And I am your host, Rick Franzi. And man, do we have a good show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because not only do we have a serial entrepreneur as our guest, we also have a trailblazer setting trends that the rest of the country, if maybe not the world, is following. California has a history of setting trends that the nation follows. And Chris Boucher is our guest. He is the CEO of Juiceteva. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. So let's kick it off. Tell me about the motivation and inspiration you had to start Juiceteva. You know, it was inner core uh, environmental, uh, definitely looking to help the planet uh, change the world. And when I discovered hemp, it, there was nothing like that you could ever imagine that not only could it help the environment, but all the business, all the products that you could make from it, all the industry, all the economics. It was just unbelievable. Something that was you never read in textbooks. You never learned in school, and uh, here it is now. So it's interesting because you said hemp, and I'm sure people conjure up in their mind maybe what it is. And we're going to define hemp and kind of differentiate it here in a little bit. So just hold on, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get there, Juice Tiba is your latest venture. It's not your first venture in this space, and we'll talk about that as well. But I'm wondering, in the time that you've had Juice Tiba up, and running. Have you had any pivots or change of direction or anything you can share with us? Yes. So our, our basic fundamental was the supply chain. Um, our main company, Formtiva, we grow hemp. Um, we harvest it and we wanted to supply the entire hemp industry and the as an ingredient supplier, raw hemp uh, powder made from the leaf and the flower which is a superfood. And as we rolled out the ingredient supply chain, we saw just people didn't know what it was. So our main pivot was we switched over to a house brand. We decided, well, we'll make our own brand hmm. and uh, label it, package it and send it. So that's been the more successful part. And as we move forward and educating the entire market space on this is, you know, hemp juice powder, uh, one of the most nutrient dense superfoods on the planet. <laughs> you know, this is again, hold off your curiosity about hemp versus other plants, cannabis, marijuana. We'll, we'll kind of differentiate that here in a second, but we're not quite ready for that yet. I, I'm just curious in that pivot, you know, I've had many other guests on the program who were founders and start of startup companies. And it's really a challenge to pivot because you don't know if you're pivoting too soon or if you're listening to the noise, or if in fact the pivot is actually a better business model than what you originally had thought of as the business. How did you and the team at Juiceteva come to the realization and then accept it and implement it that doing a house brand would be the best way to scale the company? You know, like anything else, boots on the ground, face-to-face, <laughs> -face, meeting with the industry. We did the IFT, the Giant International Food show ingredient show in chicago last year met all the supply chain people 
We did the Expo West in Anaheim. Um, we've called every, you know, probably I would say 90% of any CBD company or ingredient supply company in the country and offering our unique product, but offering something that people don't understand. We, we had, to, like I said, pivot to a uh, different business model with a house brand finished product and really changed our marketing to instead of selling the product, we're selling the science behind it and what it does. And that's been a real key uh, movement in um, our operation. So you mentioned one of your other ventures, which is Farm Tiva, and now you have Juice Tiva. So for my audience, can you explain the two businesses, how they relate? You kind of touched on a little bit. Can we can we go a little deeper? Because Farm Tiva has been around for quite some time. Yeah, we're a vertically integrated company. So Farm Tiva is our agricultural end of the business where we actually farm the hemp plants. These are the non-psychoactive industrial hemp. And we farm them to uh, develop seeds for other farmers. We, we basically sell seeds to other farmers, whether it's CBD seeds. We do fiber seeds for industrial fiber. Uh, we do food seeds. We do juice seeds, CBG. So that was kind of our main focus is to supply raw seeds to other farmers here in California, across the country. Uh, we're in about six different countries that uh, now allow industrial hemp to be grown. So we sell seeds in those countries. And as the industry was kind of imploding and, uh, you know, shifting again, this is a major shifting industry, the hemp and uh, a word to the wise, be careful in the hemp. But uh, that being said, we, we, we zeroed in on what is the most valuable part of this plant, the seed, the stock, the oil, the milk, the protein powder. And we really believed that it was the nutrient dense leaves similar to like kale or arugula or red leaf lettuce, you know, it's a vegetable. So that's kind of the background of Farm Tiva. And we rolled out um, a um, finished product and an ingredient, which was the juice powder. So you've been in the hemp industry for 30 plus years, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I say you're a trailblazer. Um, take us back to the original aha moment when you decided cotton wasn't the right plant, but hemp might be. Can you explain that moment in time to us, please? I, I have that pinpointed to the exact day in 1990. I was in Van Nuys, California, and I was in the apparel business making backpacks tie-dye backpacks for the colleges and different, you know, styles. And I was in a store and uh, one of my accounts and a gentleman named Jack Hera, he's a famous author who I didn't know at the time. He asked me to sign a petition to legalize hemp. And this is about three o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, well, what's hemp? I never heard of the word. And um, he sat me down and six hours later, I left wow. that store and like I said, he happened to be uh, I, I, the famous author. There's a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which we call it the hemp Bible. It basically the reason why I'm here, why the hemp industry's here. He wrote this book. He sold hundreds of thousands of copies in the 80s and 90s. I just happened to meet him and he basically changed my mind. I went home that night and the next day I told everybody what uh um, I learned and I was going to make everything out of hemp. And they said, man, what have you been smoking? 
<laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So, so that's a great segue, Chris, for me to ask you to, you know, explain the difference. Cause when people hear hemp, I'm not sure exactly where they go mentally, but they might go to marijuana. So could, could you help us to understand the difference in the plants and what we're talking about here? Yeah. And that's such a great question because the word hemp has been stigmatized. You say hemp and people just think marijuana, you know, hemp is an industrial agricultural commodity. Um, we grew it in World War II. We grew it uh, from the, the start of, you know, of, of America. Uh, for the first hundred years in the United States, you could pay your taxes with hemp. And so hemp is a non-psychoactive version of, of um, marijuana or cannabis sativa. It's kind of like um, you, you have um, uh, red tomatoes and you have yellow tomatoes. This is right. a red tomato. Okay. Or however you want to compare it, but one gets you high, one gets you healthy. They both do get you healthy, but at the same time, one is non-psychoactive. I mean, you could, you know, smoke a joint the size of a telephone pole and not get snowed. <laughs> <laughs> but but does it have CBD? Does hemp have CBD? Yes. So genetically speaking, that's how we determine really the difference between industrial hemp and marijuana. They have opposite molecules. Uh, hemp is... Uh, CBD-rich cannabidiol, um, which is a non-psychoactive molecule, and marijuana is THC-rich, which is a psychoactive molecule. So they're just opposite molecules in different ratios. So, um, and, and now we're seeing there's many different versions of the hemp plant with CBG, CBN, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, one's definitely uh, um, does not get you high and one does. Okay. So then within the strain of hemp plants, which are CBD rich, but THC neutral or void, you have different applications for this plant that it can do different things. So can you kind of share with us the areas that a, a hemp can address as a product? Yes. Um, currently, one of the top selling proteins in the country are hemp seed protein. It, it has the highest protein uh, uh, per pound than any vegetable plant that we know of. It's uh, even more than pea protein. So as a food, you can um, basically grow it to make protein powder. You can grow it to make uh, flour for breads, for cookies. You can grow it for seed oil like olive oil or evening primrose oil or flax oil. Super great omega fatty acids, omega-3, omega-6, omega-9. Um, you can grow it for milk, hemp milk, like oat milk, uh, soy milk. I mean, you think, why isn't this in every single supermarket across the country? It is. It definitely is. And then on top of the um, all these other products, you have the leaf and flower, which is a super nutrient dense. We call it a vegetable. Um, hmm. You know, comparatively speaking, um, it's a superfood, uh, very comparable to kale, uh, red leaf lettuce. Um, eventually, you'll see it in the supermarket uh, produce section. So um, these applications uh, for the food sector are enormous. I think one of the fastest growing sectors we're going to see here in the next few years for, you know, agricultural food commodities. And at the same time, we can flip over to the industrial side where you have uh, industrial wood, lumbers, flooring. You've got insulation. You've got... Um, uh, hempcrete, uh, we've got uh, rebar, we've got plastics. I mean, there's over 50,000 uses of industrial hemp. 
And I could go on and on. We'd be here all day if I named all the different products. So we're just starting to see the infrastructure here in the United States being built. Factories in South Dakota, Texas, California. Um, so once the infrastructure is in place in these rural communities, we believe it's going to really enhance the economics of agriculture and, and, and really give a boost to our farmers here in the United States, which they're really hurting. I mean, it's, it's, it's a disaster out in the farmland, whether you're in California, Texas, you know, uh, Louisiana, you name it. So, um, uh, we're, we're just beginning, just scratching the surface. So, so it's a, it's a superfood and a food group that's high in a lot of positive things in addition to CBD, but then also, you didn't you start with hemp in the clothing space backpacks as well oh yeah we started okay. making hemp backpacks and wallets and hats and bags uh by 1993 we were in probably four or five thousand stores uh around the country uh we were in about 10 different countries around the world um we were making uh hemp wallets and bags for the beatles anthology we made music merchandise for dave matthews fish Grateful Dead. I mean, the hemp clothing was huge in the 90s, and uh, it was a different market space because it's almost like this is illegal and I can wear it, you know. Mm, and so okay. uh, uh, we made shoes for Converse, uh, sneakers, uh, Chuck Taylors, and um, it was a great run in, in the apparel clothing industry, which is, you know, a, quite a unique industry in itself. So, so you're you're sort of saying there was some marketing power behind it because of the misunderstanding that it was sort of an illegal product because of its its kinship to cannabis but have have you met i know you have because we talked about it so just give us a sense for the type of um resistance that maybe was born either out of ignorance or out of an intentional desire to mislead of people who when they heard you wanted to do something with hemp thought what you were trying to do was become a drug dealer yeah you know it's like anything else uh, except imagine a thousand times worse you have a hundred years of misinformation. You have a hundred years of stigmatizing this plant, how evil it is, how bad it is. I mean, whether it was Satan, whether it was drugs. <laughs> and, and so you just say the word and people would automatically think drugs. And we're talking around the world, not just the United States. So we we stuck our you know flag in the sand and said, no, this is what it is. When I say stuck our flag in the sand, you know, uh, our original American flags were made out of cannabis sativa, hemp, you know, and so um, you can pay your taxes with it. So we believe truly the economic benefit and also the environmental benefits. I mean, it cleans the soil, the phytoremediation, uh, it's non-toxic. And we're like, there's, there's nothing better than this. You know, if hemp can't save the world, well, what else could? you know, in, in a sense of, of, of that nature. But yes, it was uh, definitely a battle. And today it still is kind of, you know, in, in certain uh, segments of the market space, when you say hemp, you know, everyone jumped into the CBD space and CBN and now THC. And, you know, I'm one of the founders of the CBD industry. And, um, you know, just seeing how that has evolved and it just caught on like wildfire. And so, um, we're on to the next new thing, and that, that's kind of where it's at. So we have a loyal listener, Mr. Bill Fowler, and he asked us the question through LinkedIn. He said, does the extraction of Delta-8 or Delta-9 THCs from waste hemp negatively impact the uptake 
commercial and industrial hemp products? Bill, that is the question of the day. So this is what's happening. It's that question there is what's really, I would say, destroying the marketplace because um, Delta 8 and Delta 9, these are psychoactive uh, compounds that get you stoned. It's like having a Michelobelite or whatever compared to, let's say, a Guinness or a Stout. And yes, it gets you high, not as high as marijuana. But what they do is they make um, CBD isolate, hemp CBD can be turned into a pharmaceutical grade isolate. It's 99.9%. And so you can take that 99.9% CBD isolate and you can convert it into a Delta-8 or a Delta-9 THC that gets you stoned. Mm. And what's happened is, and I'm on the front line of this, um, the whole marijuana industry, especially in California, is furious because... Uh, companies are selling um, THC derived from hemp. And the reason why they're selling it, because there's a loophole in the law. (laughs) And they're going to tighten this up real soon. And they're doing it in other states, but they're tightening it up way too much. And it's actually hurting the industry. So you can sell five milligrams of hemp derived THC in a gummy or a candy. And um, you go across the street to the marijuana dispensary. They've paid a million dollars for their medical marijuana license, and they're only allowed to sell 10 milligrams. Mm. So they're going, how the hell can these hemp people sell um, intoxicant THC? Because it's from hemp. And the reason why I had said is because when they passed the farm bill, there was a loophole, uh, which was all derivatives thereof from hemp. And CBD isolate is a derivative of hemp, but I don't even like calling that CBD isolate hemp because it's a pharma product. It's pharmaceutical. It's made in VAP rotors. It's it's 99%. It's like having a vitamin C pill and say, oh, I have an orange. <laughs> so, um, um, and so these laws, and I'll end it here, there's laws being passed across the entire country limiting uh, hemp-derived THC which will affect full spectrum hemp oils. Um, you'll basically have to sell your hemp CBD in a one unit pack. You know, no more 60 gummies or 40 gummies in a, in a carton because that will um, uh, violate the new laws that these states, Virginia, Washington, Arizona, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bloodbath out there in that sense. So, um, hey, make your money while it's there. And that's what a lot of the big CEOs of these hemp companies are saying, hey, I can sell 100 to 1 THC hemp over non-psychoactive hemp. So, you know, we're going after the revenue stream, shareholder value. So, uh, but that will end. The party will end soon. So what is the, um, you talked about the CEOs in the industry. What does the hemp industry, what's it constructed of now? Can you explain it to us at a high level? Yes. So the industry started out at this high lucrative, massive volume of CBD products, you know, cannabidiol, CBD, whether they were in capsules, tinctures, gummies. And, you know, all of a sudden you you have 50 players and within two years, there's 10,000 companies in the space. Literally 10,000 companies? Yeah, it gets flooded and uh, everyone's looking for the next new thing. And there's loopholes in the law. Again, it's it's a loophole. And they said, all of a sudden we can sell hemp THC 
without a license? We can sell THC at a gas station, in a health food store. Uh, we can sell it in the grocery store or wherever, you know, uh -huh. smoke shops. So it's become this bonanza because it's an, people like to get high. I don't care what it is. If they can get high, whether it's alcohol, booze, cigarettes, I mean, and here it is. You can go buy THC in any store without a license. So it's a, it's a great revenue stream in that sense. But what is it doing to the industry in itself? And what kind of message does it say to law enforcement, politicians? And believe it or not, the marijuana industry is now teaming up with the law enforcement and the politicians to snuff out this hemp-derived THC industry. And hey, I'm like, hey, sell as much as you can while it's legal, but it's going to end. And they are changing the law in Washington, D.C. as we speak. So what about in the other areas where hemp is being used? Because you you own farmland. You said you're vertically integrated. So you're actually growing hemp product. Is that right here in California? We grow hemp year round out in Imperial County, San Diego. Uh, we lease the land from uh, different farm groups. Um, we've collaborated with some of the best farmers in the country, in the state. And we've developed a program where we can grow tens of thousands of acres if the orders are there and the business is there. So it's really, you know, which comes first, you know, the, the, the horse or the cart, you know, and they're both being developed at the same time. And it's, it's been this way for quite a few years. So, um, you know, be, growing hemp has been, you know, um, kind of my claim to fame. I was the first American hemp farmer since World War II. I grew a hemp crop and believe it or not, 1994, at the USDA research station down in Brawley, California. And everyone said, you'll never, ever do it. And we sure <laughs> did. We had a contract with the U.S. government. We grew an acre. Um, we were ready to harvest it, but that's a different story. It did not get harvested, but we grew it. Mm. And it made um, L.A. Times, made San Diego Tribune, actually made CNN. Ted Turner had a, uh, had a film crew come out, and we filmed it. And that the rest is history. <laughs> So you, your base of operation is here in Orange County and Costa Mesa in particular. Yes, Laguna Beach. That's where At our Laguna, office okay. is. So Laguna Beach. So how, how have you found the business environment here in Orange County for hemp and, and the business that you're scaling now, the two businesses? So that's a great question. So the health food stores are really uh, accepting it. But there's hemp stores out there, but all the hemp stores now, if you don't get high from the hemp, they don't want to buy it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the, C the CBD wave is kind of over. They're all selling D8 and THC, you know. I mean, imagine having a liquor store without a license. You could make your own beer, make your own, you know, whiskey, and you can sell it without any, without any license or regulations. So um, it's the wild, wild west. But yeah, Orange County... Has always been interesting, but we 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 set trends here in Orange County, especially health trends. We have a lot of health-oriented people, so we're really getting a great, um, um, I, I would say, introduction to um, a lot of manufacturers and um, health food stores, to say the least. So, what's the future hold for Juice Tiva and Farm Tiva, and for you, Chris, as an entrepreneur and trend center in the hemp industry? We we see it and I see it, you know, the future is going to be the grocery stores. Uh, the future is going to be the food, the juices. It's uh, uh, the AG1 or athletic greens of hemp. That's how I see it. And we believe that we have one of the most unique hemp business models 
in the world. We are growing hemp year round in Southern California where you cannot grow year round anywhere else in the world. Hmm. Uh, we're down in Imperial Valley. It's a 200 feet below sea level. Um, we can grow in February, January, February, March, April, and we can, you know, have multiple, multiple harvests. And so we believe that, um, you know, combined with the, our, our ge geographical region, the economics, and I, I think just the, uh, the enthusiasm here that our future is, is just as green as it can be. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still dealing with the uh, headwinds of people seeing this. And even from the conversation you just had with me, some entrepreneurs in this space who are making a problem for you by using hemp and extracts from hemp in a way that wasn't maybe really intended, right? From a from taking and turning it into THC too. So that oh is, yeah, that yeah. Feels... I mean, hemp people and cannabis people are pretty smart, and they'll find out any little entrepreneurs nook and cranny inside that law and 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 dive head deep into it. Right. As long as there's good revenue and good money there, so that's what's happening in that sense. So, so really kind of just, I'm curious, how long does it take to get a harvest of a hemp field when you plant it? How long does it take before you're able to take the product and harvest it? Yes. So that's a really good question. It depending on what, what kind of commodity are you growing? Are you trying to grow a seed that might take 120 days? Are you growing a fiber that might take 90 days? Are you growing a a juice product that might take 60 or 70 days. So it really depends on the photo period and the cycle that you're in. Most hemp or, you know, pretty much all cannabis sativa has to be grown during a photo cycle between May and September or May and October. But we've devised genetics in a way to grow year round and, and uh, overcome that limited time space. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where we're at. That, that, that really opens up your capacity, doesn't it? By giving you those. Eventually, yes. Yes. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. So if someone would like to learn more about Farm Tiva, Juice Tiva, Chris Boucher, where do you suggest they go online? Juicetiva.com. Um, Juicetiva.com is our retail website. Uh, we also have... Uh, uh, JuicetivaHempJuice.com, which is our uh, wholesale bulk wholesale site. Uh, you can just look up um, Chris Boucher Hemp Juice, <laughs> and we come up quite a bit. Um, um, and I'm not the basketball player, Chris Boucher. I'm the hemp guy. <laughs> so um, yeah, just Juicetiva.com is, is is great way to uh, get a hold of us, or you can call me. You know, nine four nine five one zero nine nine seven one twenty four seven when it comes to hemp. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm so glad we, Haley, discovered you, didn't realize we had such a trendsetter and someone who's been in this industry for so long and is so knowledgeable about the hemp industry right here under our nose in beautiful Orange County. I've really enjoyed our time together, and thanks for being a part of the program. Awesome. I thank you again, Rick. Appreciate it, and uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'd like to thank our listeners, Bill Fowler, uh, who's actually hosting one of our peer groups tomorrow at his beautiful offices in the Hardesty. And I uh, can't wait to see the new digs that Bill and his company have. But uh, I want to thank you for being a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story to tell, then reach out to Haley and to me and we'll talk about possibly having you as a future guest here on 
Critical Mass Business Talk Show. Uh, you can reach me at Rick Franzi on LinkedIn. That's R-I-C-F-R-A-N-Z-I. Coincidentally, that's our website too, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Thank you.